Hello, everybody, and welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. You are tuned into our OITE review series featuring myself, who is Dr. Cole, along with Dr. Spencer Woolwine. And you are tuned into our trauma series. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, we typically go over high yield orthopedic uh, topics on a weekly uh, in a weekly basis as far as episodes. But now, at least for this month, we're doing an OITE review and we're starting off with trauma. So every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we will drop a new episode. So please hit that subscribe button if you can. Please go and leave us a review. We noticed that some of you have been leaving reviews lately and we thank you so much that you already have done that. And without further ado, we will continue on with some upper extremity trauma. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Yep, exactly. And so now kind of opposite of Olecranon, we have the uh, coronoid, and there's a few different classification schemes for that. Uh, what are the uh, commonly used ones? Yeah, so two classification systems for coronoid process fractures is uh, one is uh, uh, Reagan and Mori, and the other one is O'Driscoll's. Uh, so let's start with the Reagan and Mori. So type one is going to be uh, just a, a shear fracture of the tip. Uh, of the tip of the coronoid process. Uh, type two is gonna be less than, is gonna involve less than 50% of the coronoid. And then type three is gonna involve greater than 50% of the coronoid. Pretty simple for the most part. Uh, and for O'Driscoll's classification, again, you have fractures of the coronoid tip, fractures of the anterior medial process and uh, basal fractures. And, and, you know, fractures of the coronoid process are important because these assist with, you know, anterior stability of the elbow. Okay. And, and a coronoid, you know, it's, uh, it's the um, attachment site for the anterior bundle of the uh, medial collateral ligament or the MCL. And it's also the attachment site of the anterior capsule. So uh, when you, when you have, you know, for example, when you have uh, fractures uh, that involve the anterior medial process, uh, what, what kind of uh, instability would be associated with that? Yeah, so if it's an anterior medial process fracture, you're going to expect uh, posterior medial instability. Um, and that's due to an, uh, an injury that was uh, varus and posterior medial uh, force. And uh, you can commonly see uh, uh, MCL avulsion or at least the MCL pulling on that anterior medial process uh, fracture fragment. And uh, when you have uh, these kind of coronoid uh, process fractures. Uh, I mean, we talk about there's tip fractures, there's less than 50%, greater than 50% of the coronoid. Um, what gives you kind of a, the indications for operating on them? Yeah, so the main thing with coronoid process fractures is just el elbow stability, right? So um, even in type one fractures, it's just elbow instability in a type one fracture. Uh, which we're, you know, we're talking about, for example, O'Driscoll's, um, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Reagan and Maury's classification, a fracture of just a tip, um, and there's elbow instability, you need to fix it. So this can be fixed with many different ways, but one of the common ways is, you know, putting sutures through drill holes, and it kind of helps tack down that, uh, tap down the at anterior, um, that coronary process, as well as, you know, help with that, you know, restore that anterior capsule. Um, and in patients that have type two and type three, 
uh, uh, fractures, you know, fractures that involve less than 50 and greater than 50% of the coronoid process, according to Reagan and Mori. These are going to be the patients that can undergo open reduction and in internal fixation for elbow stability. So again, the main thing is going to be elbow stability in these coronoid process fractures. Now, what is the, um, so, so say, you know, we, we tackle the, the ulna, the proximal part, right? We spoke about the uh, olecranon. We talked about the, uh, the coronary process. So, so moving over a little laterally, our, our, our good friend, the radial head over there, uh, what are, what's some of the, what's a classification uh, system for the radial head and, and kind of their associated treatment? Because we know good classification systems can help guide treatment. Yes, and this is one of them, the Mason classification. So a Mason 1 uh, non-displaced fracture, you treat with um, early range of motion. Um, be careful with the Mason 1s, um, just because what we, what we really only see on x-rays is the bony uh, changes, and you want to make sure that they have no mechanical blocks to motion. So they may look like a Mason 1, but if there is a mechanical block to motion, you really want to um, kind of uh, aspirate that joint, put some lidocaine in there and see if they are able to range the elbow. If they are, you can treat them with just early range of motion uh, and a sling. Uh, moving on to a Mason two, you get a partial articular fracture with a displacement that's over two millimeters. Um, same thing with these. You can treat them non-operatively if um, you are able to aspirate the joint and they do have great range of motion, but if there is a block, then you do want to explore that block and uh, fix those. Uh, Mason 3 uh, are comminuted fractures involving uh, the head and, head and neck, uh, so several fracture lines. Uh, ORIF works great if there's less than three large pieces, but if there's severe comminution, it's really hard to piece all those pieces back together. So a uh, radial head arthroplasty is uh, typically the go-to uh, in that regard. And then uh, like we talked about uh, with some of the olecranon fractures, if it's uh, just really not working out that well and they don't have great bone stock for a, uh, a radial head arthroplasty, you can excise those fragments. And then a Mason 4 is a radial head plus a Montasia uh, variant. So you do have a comminuted fracture, but you also have instability within the radial capitellar joint. So those are operative as well. Um, and if you do decide to, to operate on these, um, what are uh, the two classic approaches to it and what do you want to watch out for? Yeah, so um, uh, that was a great you know overview of of the uh, classification as far as, um, you know, what they are and, and, and going, you know, and, and, and guiding treatment. And I know that definitely um, excision uh, is definitely an option, but it's almost always the last option. And it's almost never like the answer on a, on a test, um, exactly. at least from what I've seen, but, um, but it is an option for those to know, but, you know, just move forward, like you said, some of the common approaches used for radial head open reduction internal fixation and their intervals. Numero uno, I uh, will give you the classic Coker approach. And this, uh, this is the interval between the ECU, the extensor uh, carpi ulnaris, as well as the anconius. Um, this is a little bit more posterior than our other approach, which is our Kaplan approach, uh, which is between our ECRL 
extensor carpi radialis longus and our ECRB. Um, so the Coker approach is again, a little bit more posterior. So you have more injury, uh, uh, more of a risk to injure your lateral ulnar collateral ligament than your Kaplan. So again, Kaplan is gonna be a little bit more anterior than the Coker. So you have less risk of injuring your lateral ulnar collateral ligament. And during both of these approaches, pronation during this helps protect your posterior interosseous nerve. So definitely know that I remember that. And so what are some predictors of worst patient outcomes in patients with radial head fractures, right? Like we have these Mason threes and fours and we know how to approach it and, and, and get down and see uh, and see the, you know, our radial head, but what, what makes, um, what is a predictor of uh, worse outcomes? Um, yeah, so uh, increased displacement, we're dealing with an intraarticular fracture. So the worse initial displacement, the more just overall chondral injury, bruising, uh, apoptosis of the chondrocytes you're going to see. And so um, uh, those typically do not do particularly well compared to the minimally displaced ones. And then those uh, with low, lower socioeconomic status, uh, elderly patients, um, ones that have a lot of other comorbidities happening, um, similar to a lot of other fractures that we fix. And then um, can't ever forget about the workers' comp patients, which um, they just have worse outcomes overall when you talk about uh, the uh, trauma, orthopedic trauma patient associated with workers' comp. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so now I guess kind of moving forward. So now we're, we're using our Coker, we're using our Kaplan, we've protected our PIN. Um, what, uh, if you want to do head and neck RIF, where do you want to place that plate? Yeah, so when you're looking at, you know, radial head, there is a safe zone for radial head or radial neck open reduction internal fixation. This is a kind of a posterior lateral area uh, of the radial head. So this is kind of that area, if you draw a, a line along the radial styloid and then a longitudinal line along Lister's tubercle, it's kind of this this area, um, you know, around give or take 110 degrees uh, of non-articulation, uh, of the of the radial head that you can put a plate that won't articulate with the ulna so that 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 kind of safe zone if you if you google it there are a bunch of nice pictures out there where you can see exactly what we're talking about yeah now uh, that's for open reduction internal fixation now what's the common complication with radial head arthroplasty so these are the again those patients that you know super comminuted they may have had four fragments uh that that couldn't be pieced together four or five or six or something yeah, so uh, radial head arthroplasty is a very kind of intricate procedure, and it's not entirely forgiving. And so uh, overstuffing the joint is a, a very common complication you see. And um, one uh, way to kind of help avoid that, if possible, is when you're looking at an AP and you see that serpiginous line of the uh, coronoid process and proximal ulna, and as it goes through the uh, native radial head, uh, it's kind of this uh, S-shaped line. And if you're able to restore that without uh, step off or uh, having the radial head sit too proximal, then you're, you're doing okay. But overstuffing is definitely a big concern with radial head arthroplasty. And um, 
I like that one. I haven't heard that. So you're saying on the, I just pulled up an AP of an elbow, just, just, yeah. just help visualize this. You're saying on AP and elbow, if you follow a line um, down the corner, what was that? Yeah, so you see um, that kind of S-shaped line as the as you move from the uh, medial proximal ulna over the, the coronoid into the, the kind of trochlea of the distal humerus, and then you come yeah. across to the capitellum. It creates this kind of S-shaped kind of flowing river sign. Um, yeah. And that's a, that's a good way that when you put your arthroplasty in and you get your AP uh, to gauge um, if you're sitting too proximal, you'll see that radiohead arthroplasty cause a break in that line. Uh, ah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So similar to like a, like you don't want to cause a break in the Shinton's line when you're doing a total hip. It's uh, yeah. it's a similar thing with uh, radiohead arthroplasty. Smooth, man. I'm loving it. Learning stuff left and right. Uh, cool, man. So next thing. So, um, you know, we talked about radial head arthroplasty, open reduction, internal fixation, want to do a radial head arthroplasty, safe zones for uh, radial head fixation. Now, what is an sex lepresti lesion? I remember hearing this at least all through intern year. And uh, I just loved it. I, I, I somehow didn't get asked it, but I heard it get asked on to many people many of times. Uh, so what is that? Yeah, so it's a it's an entire forearm injury. If you look at the forearm, it is a joint within itself with a circular kind of structure. So you have the uh, radius and the radial bow, bow the uh, DRUJ, the ulna coming back up, and then you have the PRUJ. And so an SX lopresti is a longitudinal uh, injury to uh, the interosseous membrane. Uh, between those two bones. And commonly, you'll see a radio head fracture and a DRUJ dislocation associated with it. Um, and it's due to a high uh, axial load on the limb where uh, the axial load goes through the radius into the radio head, impacts on the capitellum. You get a comminuted uh, uh, radio head fracture and uh, but the ulna stays where it is, and the entire radius moves proximal to it, and the uh, DR or the interosseous membrane is uh, disassociated. And if these are missed, it's kind of a devastating injury because a interosseous membrane reconstruction is a difficult and tedious task. But um, you you definitely in every comminuted radial head, you want to make sure you're getting X-rays of the wrist and ruling out an SX Lopresti lesion. Yep, yep, I'm super glad you, you mentioned that. And going back to basic principles, X-ray the whole bone, uh, joint above, joint below. Um, so if you have a, um, a patient with an SX Lopresti injury, what should you do with the radial head? Should you do anything with it? Should you just leave it or what, what, do, you, what do you do? Well, you want to provide a longitudinal stability to it. So if it is, if it falls within that Mason uh, three, uh, you're most likely doing an arthroplasty. Um, if it's uh, not very common, but uh, a more simple fracture pattern, you can do a, a plate and screws proximally with open reduction internal fixation. But um, you definitely also want to stabilize distally at the DRUJ with either a DRUJ reconstruction um, with kind of like uh, suture anchors, if you're that skilled or uh, K wires 
that traverse both bones distally at the wrist so that you get that good scar tissue formation um, in there. And then, and then you just kind of watch them. And if you see the radius still, despite all of your efforts, um, migrate proximally, then you know that you're going to have to go in and fix that interosseous membrane with a BTB allograft or, or something of that nature that very skilled upper extremity surgeons are much more capable of than I am. Yeah. I've, I've never seen uh, one of those. I'm sure those are probably pretty cool cases, but um, yeah, I'm sure you gotta have some level of, of high skill in order, yes. in order to do one of those. <laughs> Take me a little while to do that. Uh, so moving forward, um, something that we will get consulted on at some point is elbow dislocations. So what is the classification um, of elbow dislocations based on? Uh, just the direction. And uh, it's kind of the characteristics. This is what I base a lot of my kind of fractures off of too, is just the characteristics and personality of the injury. And so like a, a posterior lateral dislocation of the elbow is most common, it occurs about 80% of the time. You can have direct posterior, you can have anterior, medial, lateral, um, or a combination of all of those resulting in various fracture patterns around the elbow, but it's really just a, whatever direction the dislocation is in is how you're going to describe it either over the phone to an attending or, um, in your op report or in your consult notes. Yeah, exactly. And so what is the mechanism of injury in elbow dislocations? Say, for example, we're going, you know, most common is that, like you said, that posterior lateral uh, dislocation. So what, what's kind of the mechanism uh, of injury? And then after that, you can probably go into some of the stages of, um, of collapse in these elbow dislocations. Yeah, you know, I haven't really paid, uh, we have in our notes here, the circle of Hori, and I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to it. it, it it's similar, I know, to like the kind of Loggy Hansen uh, yeah. classification that it's, um, it occurs in a kind of system, like a systematic approach, like a, the LUCL ruptures, and then it traverses across the anterior uh, capsule and posterior capsule. And then finally, the medial collateral ligament ruptures, if it in fact does, but it's always the kind of last injury or last structure to be injured. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's a lot really just due to a uh, axial force with a posterior lateral uh, rotation of the uh, forearm that causes the posterior lateral rotatory uh, instability. Yeah, exactly. You know, just like you pretty much what you just said that at stage one is that, um, you know, you have, you know, posterior lateral instability where you have, um, you know, complete or at least partial LCL disruption. Um, stage two is, they call it perched ulna, but you have, just like you said, anterior posterior capsule disruption and stage three, where, you know, it goes into dislocation where you have, you know, complete or partial tear of the MCL uh, anterior band. And um, what are some of the important things to note about the anterior band of the MCL? I feel like this is always questioned or there's always a, a, a point to bring up the anterior band in particular of the MCL. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's the, it's the famous Tommy John uh, 
ligament there. Um, but it's the primary medial, uh, stabilizer of the elbow when the elbow is in 20 to 120 degrees of flexion. So it resists that valgus stress. You get some, uh, secondary buttressing from the radial head and from the medial joint capsule, but it's primarily the anterior band of the MCL and it, uh, inserts on the sublime tubercle of the, uh, proximal ulna. But, yeah. uh, oh yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, um, do you have anything else to say on the anterior band? I was going to ask you some things about the posterior band. Uh, I, I'm trying to recall, I don't want to say anything that's incorrect, um, but I believe the um, anterior band has uh, the most uh, movement differential with range of motion while the uh, posterior band stays isometric with elbow flexion, but I could be wrong in that. Um, Yeah. Hopefully I'm not, maybe we can revisit it in the future, but um, really it's just the the location of it and that it's the primary medial stabilizer is the most important things for the anterior band. And then the the posterior band uh, comes into play when you have uh, uh, flexion contracture uh, because the posterior band does get contracted and prevents a lot of, uh, a lot more flexion of that uh, uh, elbow. Yeah. Yeah, and, and kind of just moving forward and going into the treatment of a of an elbow dislocation. Uh, so, what what is the uh, you know what is the preferred treatment? Acute elbow dislocation. What what are you? What's your plan from zero to week two or so? Yeah, so uh, simple elbow dislocations. Do an acute reduction. There's several reduction techniques. I guess just use whatever's. Uh, most useful for you. And then again, it's the elbow. You want a short period of immobilization and range of motion for the stable ones. Yeah. So with the unstable ones, you reduce it. It's a simple dislocation. They do open a a little bit medial or lateral. Um, You're going to still immobilize them. You're going to put them in a hinged elbow brace uh, and see kind of how they do. They might be able to scar in a little bit and we know that they're going to get stiff. So hopefully you can rely on that inherent elbow stiffness to uh, provide some of that collateral stability. But um, for the ones that are persistently unstable, that's that's when you're getting the MRI and considering a collateral ligament uh, reconstruction. Um, but for these uh, immobilizations, what's the kind of number we shoot for that we want to uh, discontinue all immobilization for them? Yeah, you don't you don't want to have them. Um, you don't want to mobilize them more than three weeks. You know, if you mobilize them more than three weeks, that, that leads to you know stiffness, possible flexion contracture. So, you try again. You, we know elbows get stiff, so we try to not have a stiff elbow. That, that having a stiff elbow is not fun. You know, um, and and so since we're talking about elbows, talking a little bit about elbow instability. So, if you're unstable to a valgus force in pronation. Uh, what structures are injured? Um, yeah, so you're going to have injury to the LUCL primarily. You can see an injury to the MCL, and you're going to get that posterior lateral uh, rotatory instability. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, you know, one of the ways that I, I can think about it is like, you know, if you're typically like, you know, if you reduce an elbow and, and you test it in supination, that's, that's typically, you know, the the place where the elbow is a little bit more unstable. So if you're unstable to a valgus force in axial load and supination, 
you know your LUCL is going to be injured, and you could possibly have your MCL injured as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just talking about our, our, our circle a little bit earlier, but if you pronate it, pronating helps kind of tighten those lateral sided structures. So if you're still, uh, if you're still, you know, unstable in pronation, you know that you, you tore your MCL as well. So uh, that's a good way to, to think about it and remember it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we, you kind of just, just talked about it, but you know, the, again, patients that have, you know, post-traumatic posterolateral uh, elbow instability, which can occur after these elbow dislocations, the, the, the place or the, um, the position of, of um, aggravating, you know, symptoms in these patients are when they have a valgus uh, force on their elbow and they're in supination and an axial load. And they, they typically talk about, you know, trying to push up uh, to get sit up from a chair it will, it will create that uh, it will create those feelings of instability and, and that's what can cause pain and discomfort in these patients and yeah and, and patients that have that you treat them with you know a, a lateral ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction to help uh, to help counteract those those forces um, now what consists of a terrible triad injury of the of, of the elbow I, we always hear this a lot Oh yeah, so terrible triad of the elbow is a is an elbow dislocation associated with a radial head fracture and a coronoid fracture, uh, and a it's really just that LUCL uh, disruption. So um, the uh, structures, uh, I mean, and those are really all the main structures that provide uh, stability to the elbow. So how we go about these is. Um, you want to fix the three most important things for this is the coronoid fracture, whether that's uh, direct bony fixation if the fragment's large enough versus that suture technique that you were uh, using um, to kind of suture that anterior capsule and pulling it through the olecranon to tie it on that posterior surface with the uh, with the sutures, being careful of the uh, AIN. Um, then you want to work on the radial head. If it's a simple mason, then you can do an open reduction internal fixation versus a radial head arthroplasty. And then on your way out, you're repairing that LUCL versus reconstructing it with uh, like a palmaris um, autograft or some sort of allograft. And then if after all of that is done and you still have uh, instability, then you're going to focus your attention on that medial side and uh, most likely the MCL is ruptured and you're going to have to do an acute MCL uh, repair versus reconstruction at that time. Yeah. yeah and I always see, I think I remember at least seeing a, a question. It was like this. It was, it was a double triad injury and they fixed everything. And then they showed you an x-ray of an unstable elbow, like the radio capitella joint is, is, is not reduced. And, you know, they're asking you, oh, what's the next step? You know, what's the next thing you should do? And if you haven't, repair the LUCL, then the next thing to do is to repair the LUCL. If you haven't yep. done that, the next thing to do, just like you said, would be to repair the uh, medial collateral ligament. Um, now, moving forward, we're, we're getting there. Uh, what is a transolecranon fracture dislocation? So a uh, transolecranon uh, basically means that there is a uh, elbow a fracture through the olecranon with anterior displacement of the radial capitellar joint however the PRUJ remains intact 
And that's the key differential between a transalecranon fracture dislocation and a montasia fracture where the radial head is disassociated from the proximal ulna and the PRUJ is disrupted. So the idea with this is if you fix the proximal ulna fracture and, and uh, restore the contour, uh, then the uh, radial head will just follow because the PRUJ is intact, which uh, moving on to then a montasia fracture, which is that uh, ulnar shaft fracture, commonly a proximal ulna fracture uh, with a radial head dislocation that uh, you won't reduce the radial head until that ulna fracture is reduced anatomically. Thank you all for listening to that episode of the Nail the Ortho podcast. If this is your first time listening to an episode, welcome. We hope you go ahead and hit that subscribe button and come back and listen to us in a couple of days. Now, if you haven't, click the link in the description of the podcast and sign up for our email newsletter because we will be working on a podcast companion book to go along with our OITE review series in the future. So if you want some early access to that um, and some other cool things, make sure you tune in. All right, we'll see you in a couple of days.